It's not just sharing the latest Starbucks drink on TikTok that the young Generation Z enjoy, it's trading crypto coins as well. Starbucks wants to tap into the craze, so Kevin Johnson, CEO of the world's largest coffee chain, announced that Starbucks would begin accepting crypto in its stores. It's fair to say that I'm not a fan of Starbucks coffee, but I do respect the business. I'm also a crypto cynic, and I'm waiting for the almighty crash so I can tell all of my son's friends that I told them so. However, the best use of crypto is the one where they actually have a practical function. Here, Starbucks is doing something interesting, and it's actually pretty cool. Firstly, Starbucks will allow payment by Bitcoin, a brilliant move that will attract Generation Zs because they are finally able to use Bitcoin for something useful. But did you know that 51% of sales come from customers who are members of the loyalty program? By using the crypto wallet, the company will be able to store stars, which can be traded and transferred to other companies. Through blockchain or other innovative technologies, we are exploring how to tokenize stars and create the ability for other merchants to connect their rewards program to Starbucks rewards, said CEO Kevin Johnson. To illustrate, Johnson used the example of Air Canada's partnership with Starbucks Rewards, through which airline rewards members can earn points from both companies when they buy coffee at Starbucks. Over the next year, you will see the first instance of this loyalty points exchange with other consumer brands, Johnson added. He continued, this approach will also serve as a foundation for a more aspirational concept for new modern payment rails that align payment expenses with the value received by customers and merchants. Starbucks investors reacted positively to the announcement, although the share price is getting impacted by bigger market forces at the moment. We think it's a smart move that shows the company is not out of touch with its customer base. Ethiopia's coffee growers are expecting another record year for exports, despite the ongoing political crisis in the country. Africa's biggest coffee producer is also gaining from other events that affect major coffee-growing countries worldwide. The nation exported 250,000 tons, earning a record $910 million in the marketing year that ended on 31 July. For the current fiscal year, it is forecasted to reach 280,000 tons. Just in the span of three months through October this year, the nation has already exported 86,000 tons of coffee, which made $327.9 million. According to the Ethiopia Tea and Coffee Authority, this is 77% more than the projected amount. Currently, Ethiopia is in the middle of a deteriorating political crisis that has been going on since November 2020, with central government forces fighting the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Yet, coffee exports have not been as badly affected as some observers expected. On top of that, the six-month state of emergency recently declared by the government has been confined to areas outside of major coffee-growing regions. According to the Director General of the Tea and Coffee Authority, Adagna Dibila, there is no problem in Djibouti port, and the Addis Ababa Djibouti road is working peacefully, so the way we measure it is in our daily volumes. In addition to that, Ethiopia is benefiting from other events in the industry, including the rise in shipping costs in Asia, as well as weather-related incidents in Brazil and Colombia, in particular, that have pushed prices to levels unseen in years. Hawaiian county officials requested to impose stricter laws regarding the use of Hawaii location in coffee packaging names.
The current policy is cutting profits and damaging brands of local Hawaiian coffee farmers. Last week, a Hawaii County Council resolution was passed unanimously, requiring coffee blends to be made of at least 51% Hawaii-grown coffee, to use Hawaiian location names in the labeling. This is a big jump from the current laws, which only requires the coffee products to be 10% Hawaiian-made. Native coffee farmers testified at a council meeting, stating that the current policy is too lenient and affecting their livelihoods. When blends are only made of 10% Hawaiian coffee beans, profits are being taken away from Hawaiian family coffee farms and into the pockets of mainland coffee distributors instead. Not only that, when these products promote coffee with Hawaiian locations on labels, even though it mostly doesn't contain Hawaiian-made coffee beans, it affects the flavors, thus damaging Hawaiian brands. Big Island coffee farmer Bruce Corker stated, When consumers are misled into believing that Kona blends are genuine Kona coffee, and they are disappointed by the taste of those blends, our heritage coffees are permanently damaged. Another coffee grower, Jim Monk, said that mainland coffee distributors who use 10% Hawaiian coffee beans in their blends defraud and confuse consumers as well as smear the name of Hawaii. According to a Congressional Research Service report, geographic indications protect the quality and reputation of a distinctive product originating in a certain region. Examples include Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese and Florida oranges. This matter has been going on for a while. In 2019, about 600 Kona coffee farmers, including Corker, filed a class-action lawsuit against major coffee sellers including Amazon and Walmart for advertising coffee blends as Kona blends when they didn't originate from Kona. According to the Tribune Herald, there have been preliminary settlements of a total of about $13 million offered by some of these companies. Taking into consideration geographic indications and the effects of current laws, the request for this stricter law in the percentage of Hawaiian-made coffee beans used in blends is a fair one. Not only will it benefit Hawaiian farmers, but it will also lead to more genuine Hawaiian-made coffee products for consumers to enjoy. Coffee does not constitute an integral element of the workplace, the Supreme Court in Italy pronounced. Italy's caffeine-obsessed population has been following the case for over a decade. In 2009, a civil servant, identified as Rosanna, tripped and broke her wrist on her way back to work from a coffee break. There was no in-house coffee machine or canteen at her office, so her employer permitted Rosanna to leave the workplace for a caffeine fix. Rosanna had to recuperate at home for 40 days following the event. However, when she tried to claim work-related sick pay for those days, her insurance company, Enail, refused to pay the compensation as they insisted that the accident was not related to work. Rosanna sued, and in 2013, she won her case in a lower court, and Enail had to pay the compensation and disability allowance. Anail appealed twice, the first time was with an appeals court that sided with Rosanna, and the second was to the highest court. After more than a decade of legal back and forth, the Supreme Court concluded that injuries during coffee breaks are not considered workplace injuries. Therefore, either employers nor insurance companies are legally responsible for compensating workers for accidents that happen when employees leave the office for a break. The plaintiff's lawyer said that Rosanna was satisfying a physiological need when she left the office for a coffee break, something some coffee lovers will undoubtedly relate to. However, the court ruled that the outing was a risk that was taken willingly by the employee and not a physiological need connected with her work activities. 
On top of that, the judges ordered Rosanna to pay more than 5,240 euros in legal costs. While I may not be impartial, I feel that the physiological associations of caffeine to mood and energy are well documented, so that seemed to be an odd place for the court to find fault. Perhaps the judges were tea drinkers? Go to www.bartalks.net for the full articles. I look forward to seeing you all next week for the latest stories in the world of coffee. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts, including the popular weekly Bean Talk with Nick and Max, interviews, and of course, the Cocoa Newscasts.